welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hokey Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined today by the one and only Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, how are you today, sir? Doing great, man. Uh, NFL season started today. Got to watch a ton of football. Got to hang out with some of the friends, drink a couple beers, uh, have some good food. Can't really complain. Yeah, man. Unfortunately, our beloved Washington football team did not come away victorious. However, the Hokies did. Virginia Tech takes down Middle Tennessee 35-14, to a score that some of you may remember is the exact score I predicted on this podcast. But <laughs> we will get to it in just a second. But first, we want to thank our sponsors, the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy that you want to go to. You want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number. And look no further. The Main Street Pharmacy, Dr. Jeremy Counts, and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Well, Rick, it wasn't pretty, especially in the beginning. But the Hokies emerge as victors at Lane Stadium on Military Appreciation Day. What did you give me your initial thoughts? What did you think about the game? Um, it, it was disappointing. Um, you know, I so for those who don't follow me on Twitter, and if you don't, you should at Ricky the Blue. You should. I tweet. Yeah. Uh, I, I tweeted out that I wasn't going to be able to watch this game live, right? Because I was uh, working my real job. I know I'm a terrible person. And therefore, I was kind of following the game via Twitter and uh, ESPN updates and things like that. Uh, so it was a, it, it was weird for me live. And, you know, I'm, I'm busy at work. And when I do check my phone, I'm getting, I'm seeing tweet notifications about, Knox Kadem in the game, and then Connor Blumrick's in the game. Uh, and I saw something about Armani Chapman having, I guess, some issues with someone on the sidelines. We're not exactly sure who that is. And uh, Tech was up 14-7 at halftime, and I'm sitting here thinking to myself, what in the blue hell is going on, right? Because three quarterbacks had played, and Tech was up seven points on a far inferior opponent. And um, it was disappointing to hear that. Now, of course, things, you know, started to get a lot better and that's nice. Um, but at some point you'd like Virginia Tech to be able to win games like this without the, the stomach ache, which is exactly what it felt like when I was watching the first half back. Um, I don't know, you know, if we'll ever get to experience that game in the near future, but it seems like every time tech plays one of these teams, at least part of it is, is that stomach ache and it's, it's just not as enjoyable. So Rick, let's talk about Braxton Burmeister. It was the game where Virginia tech fans, I know most of you were out there holding your breath the moment he went down and that was not a good looking injury. And we've talked about this many times before on this podcast. The season, and ultimately probably Justin Fuente's future, rides on the arm of Braxton Burmeister. And when he went down, it was palms to the ground, knocked out cold, and I thought to myself, there is no chance this guy comes back. Now, ultimately he did, but the performance was erratic. He seemed to have happy feet throughout most of the game, 
sometimes rushing out of the pocket when he didn't need to. But that being said, the offensive line wasn't able to provide stable protection throughout the game where he probably felt like scrambling was, was a fail-safe 99% of the time. 14 for 24, 124 yards and one touchdown. In Middle Tennessee State, where he was clearly outplayed by Bailey Hockman, it is not an ideal performance there, Rick. Has your confidence interval changed significantly because of this? I mean, no, because I didn't really elevate my confidence level in him all that much after Carolina. Uh, he was he was solid for a half against Carolina, and I think some people were a bit too quick to anoint him as someone who had figured it out. And we saw in this game that he hadn't really quite figured it out. And I, I do think it's important to mention that part of the issue with Virginia Tech's offense in the first half was not Braxton Burmeister. And Andrew, you touched on half of it, and it was the guys around him. The offensive line did not generate the push and did not create the running lanes for Virginia Tech's running backs that they did against Carolina for some of that game. Uh, That's extremely frustrating given the fact that, again, Middle Tennessee State is an inferior opponent, no disrespect to that program and to the fans of that program, but Virginia Tech and Middle Tennessee are not on the same level, right? I don't think anyone would, would disagree with that. This is the kind of game where you're supposed to be able to assert your dominance and the Jimmys and the Joes are supposed to far outweigh the X's and the O's. And it, it didn't really feel that way for the first half. Now, it did in the second half, and that's important to note. But as you and I were saying before we started recording, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, you know, after the game, I feel, I'm telling myself, I feel like the most important thing for me to watch is the first half. Because ultimately... What matters more to me is Virginia Tech not doing what they're supposed to be doing rather than them doing what they're supposed to be doing because we're, we're focused on improvement here, right? We're focused on growth. We're trying to figure out problems and then maybe talk about solutions for those problems. And the problems for Virginia Tech's offense in the first half was obviously Braxton Burmeister not being as sharp as he was in that first kind of, uh, I guess, what, two or three series against the Tar Heels two weeks ago. The offensive line wasn't that great. And also the receivers, I didn't feel like did a very good job creating separation. And that's very concerning considering that Middle Tennessee had their backup cornerbacks at both spots. Rick, before we get deeper into the game, I want to talk about the elephant in the room right now. And that's the James Mitchell injury. I talked to a lot of people in this town from reporters to random fans who you meet on the street. Over the course of the day, the recurring theme for me seems to be this injury is bad. I'm hearing torn ACL out for the season. Bad. If James Mitchell is done, if he is out, and of course that is heartbreaking. Because when you go into a game like Middle Tennessee, as a fan, as someone who genuinely cares about the program, your number one thing is always going to be, all right, let's win. And, of course, no injuries. Well, now arguably the best player on the team might be out for the year. If what I'm hearing is true, and I believe that the people who are telling me that it's a torn ACL are correct, how big is that impact? Can Virginia Tech recover from this? Does their stock drop significantly? It drops at least a little. Um, 
it's kind of hard to imagine it not dropping a lot considering the role that James Mitchell has played in the offense since he started at tight end for Virginia Tech. I mean, his ability to create mismatches downfield, uh, his ability in open space on those kind of throwback screens to the tight end, his ability in the running game on uh, tight end sweeps, which is something that not many programs can run because they don't really feel comfortable with their tight ends uh, being able to find those running lanes and make guys miss uh, at at the point of attack. And James Mitchell has been exceptional at that. He's been one of the most versatile offensive players I think we've seen in this decade. Um, you know, going back to 2010 and, and into this season for at least the last 10, 11 years, he's, he's, he's extremely versatile and he's very reliable. He's got good hands. Uh, he's quicker than he looks. And if Virginia Tech's not able to employ him for the rest of the season, that, that changes a lot because all of a sudden you can really start to focus on Trey Turner. You can really start to focus on Tavion Robinson. And the other guys that are on this roster, whether it be Caleb Smith or any of the younger receivers or Nick Gallo or Drake Dulius, none of them are scaring you. Drake Dulius, Nick Gallo, they're not talentless. I mean, there are positions with significantly less depth on this roster than the tight end position. But you could make a true argument one that I don't think many people would disagree with, that James Mitchell is, in fact, the most talented player on Virginia Tech. His talent isn't a luxury for this team. I think that what we saw offensively, especially in the first half, and then, of course, going back to the second half of the game against North Carolina, is that nothing really is a luxury for this offense. This is a unit where if they're playing within the system and everything is going right, you can put it in the category of being above and beyond operational. But that requires a lot. And James Mitchell's kind of the centerpiece there. So if you remove that element, if you move his skill set, especially over the middle of the field, even on jet sweeps, I mean, for Christ's sake, this is the tight end that has scored like 10 rushing touchdowns in his career because he's a Swiss Army Knife. It's a guy mm-hmm. that could be a first or second round draft pick. You can't understate his value. And he might very well be done. It's a crying shame. And honestly, I mean, going back to Burmeister's injury in the first half, I mean, of course, you go into every game, it's football, hoping that significant contributors don't get hurt. Of course. But the moment Burmeister went down, I had this pit feeling in my stomach where I'm like, we got to get out of this. We need to start winning by more so we can take these guys out. The real contributors. Because this game, in the grand scheme of things, yes, it's a win on the final record. Whether you say we're going to have four wins, five wins, six, seven, or eight, Middle Tennessee counts towards that. But... The stretch is coming up, and it starts next week. And I feel like we needed, we obviously wanted, but in many cases, with Notre Dame on the horizon, needed 
this team to be fully healthy. Yeah. And I have a hard time imagining that James Mitchell is is coming back. And if he is, it's not going to be next week against West Virginia. So that's that's an absolute shame. Prayers for a speedy recovery from the governor, the big man from Big Stone Gap. Rick, I want to turn our attention to the offense, though, just generally. I mean, it goes back to the second half of that Carolina game. They really just were unable to pick it up. They were unable to ride any momentum in that first half. Seeing what we saw against North Carolina, it's easy to figure this was not going to be last year, where we were going to be scoring 35 to 40 points on a regular basis and seeing whether the other team could outscore us. Now, this is a an offense that might leave a lot to be desired, but it's functional and maybe not so functional in the first half against Middle Tennessee State from what you saw in that first half. Because like you said, we're trying to improve here. Let's focus on what we can improve upon. Where were the issues in the first half? The offensive line did not control the line of scrimmage like you would expect them to. And ultimately, I think that that's, you know, kind of the the most glaring issue for me. Uh, Virginia Tech does not have the wealth of skill position talent. They don't have a star quarterback, both of which can semi-cover up offensive line issues. And you need your offensive line to provide time and to provide space for your quarterback and your skill position players to make plays. And we just didn't see that in this game. Uh, Jalen Holston had 31 yards rushing. 29 of those came on one carry. Uh, So four carries went for two yards for Jalen Holston. Um, Keyshawn King had seven carries for 15 yards. Uh, granted, you got to give Blackshear credit, 10 carries, 53 yards, two touchdowns. Um, a lot of that came in the second half, uh, when the team was starting to pull away. Braxton Burmeister had himself a decent day on the ground, eight carries, 52 yards, uh, including an 18 yard run. That was big. Connor Blumerick obviously had, um, a pretty sizable impact in the limited snaps that he got, uh, but exclusively as a runner. And, Something I I felt like in this game was that Virginia Tech was only able to get the running game going when they started to engage their quarterback in the run game. And that's that is kind of what scares me is because as we saw in this game, Braxton Burmeister is not sturdy at all. He is a injury waiting to happen. We saw this last year. We've seen it already once this year. And the the players behind him are not capable of leading this team to where tech fans want to go. I, I think that that's as, as clear as day. I mean, Knox Kadem, you can give the, give the kid credit all you want for coming in a, in a weird situation on Saturday and, and not looking completely overwhelmed, but he went three for four for 17 yards um, and, and had two carries for 13 yards. So it's not like he was, uh, blowing everybody away. Connor Blumker again, didn't even attempt to pass in this game. Um, and I think that that kind of shows what Virginia tech thinks of his ability to throw the football. So this is an offense that's very thin at a lot of different places. And even with the starting guys all healthy, 
we've seen that their level of consistency just is not there right now. And, you know, you mentioned the stretch is starting to come up with West Virginia, Notre Dame in a couple weeks. Uh, obviously, you've got big games in the middle of the season against Pitt and BC and then the stretch. Uh, at the end of the season where they play four out of five on the road, they have to go to Miami, uh, to Boston College. These games are going to be tough, and I think this defense is good enough to keep Virginia Tech at least in, in, in you know in competitive battles. But ultimately, I don't know that they're going to score enough points in order to win many of these games. Rick, I want to get to the defensive side of the ball in just a second because this is a unit who, yes, might not have outperformed what they did against North Carolina, which is crazy, right? Because, you know, you're playing Middle Tennessee State coming off of this monumental defensive performance, and you're like, oh, they're going to sack the quarterback 12 times, and that just didn't happen, but ultimately still a good performance. Offensively, the wide receiver group. I was watching those guys all day, and I have a lot of love in my heart for Tavion Robinson and Trey Turner, and pretty much all the guys in these wide receiver room. I, I, these are guys who I feel like Virginia Tech fans can really relate to. They're program guys, but against Middle Tennessee State, especially in that first half, unable to get separation. A lot of Burmeister's woes were simply because there wasn't an open receiver. Is it time for us to cool the Jets about the skill of this receiver group? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, Trey Turner is good for like one to two big plays a game, and that's valuable. But Trey Turner's not the guy that you can rely on, at least from what we've seen throughout his career as – that reliable third down target Tavion Robinson. Uh, I'm actually quite impressed by given his diminutive stature. And I absolutely love the play concept that got him his touchdown in the first half where they ran him from the slot and basically ran him to the corner. And given that he's not the tallest guy, you want to give him as much space as possible to create that separation on that type of route. And he actually high pointed it pretty well. And uh, I, I do think Tavion Robinson is a relatively good receiver, but even with James Mitchell, this group of, of pass catchers is decent, but they're not they're the, they're not otherworldly. And given that the the guy getting them the football is limited in his own right, this this group of pass catchers just is not going to wow anyone. I think for most of the season. And that's, you know, that's kind of something that I think most people, when they looked at this football team figured going in is that, you know, we'll be able to get some good, some good games from Trey Turner. He's good for at least a few good games a year, really good games. And then everywhere else, he's kind of, you know, just steady with 40 yards and he has one big catch. Um, And then James Mitchell, which now we're not even sure if he's going to be able to play the rest of the season. You obviously can bank on him getting you uh, at least a couple good plays and a, a couple good receptions a game. But, you know, guys like Caleb Smith, Jaden Payout, um, Dwayne Lofton, Jalen Jones, none of these guys are making an impact, really. And then the same goes for Nick Gallo and Drake Dulius. And 
that's worrisome, especially for a a group of pass catchers that may be losing their best target. I think going into the game, what I wanted to see was guys like Payout and Lofton really get into the mix. But the one dude I had focused in on was Kashawn King. And after the fumble against North Carolina, when he was effectively shunned by Justin Putney and that coaching staff, I looked at this Middle Tennessee State game and said, this is an opportunity for him to really show up, show out, and work his way back into that rotation. It simply didn't happen. On the ground, seven rushes for 15 yards. In the air, one reception for five yards. He looked good on special teams. Do not get me wrong. Yeah. Is it safe to say that the summer hype about him might be, as Shakespeare says, a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing, and we really can't expect him to be a major contributor this year? Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with Marco Lee. I hadn't heard Marco Lee's name, like, ever until this summer, and then we all heard about how Marco Lee was making a big splash in, in camp and I'm not even sure Marco Lee's gotten a carry yet. I think fans need to realize that a lot of this offseason hype that we hear every year just isn't, it's just smoke. Stop buying it, you know? And it it sucks to say that as a fan because you want to find things to get excited about. But time and time again, we keep hearing these names and there's just not that much production, if any, coming out of this group. And it's frustrating. Now, that's that mostly extends to the offensive side of the ball. If you look at the defensive side of the ball, I think just about everyone is relatively pleased with the defense and, and how they've played in the first two games. Yeah, there were chunks of, of the, the middle Tennessee game where um, I'm not sure if it was just a schematical issue with Justin Hamilton, try, you know, giving a lot of cushion on the outsides, but you know, th- they were giving up a, a, a good amount of yardage against an inferior offense. I mean, there was a, a three drive span in this game where they they allowed the Blue Raiders to run 28 plays and gain 132 yards, um, neither of which are good numbers. I mean, you you don't want to allow a team to rattle off long drives like that when you're struggling to find a rhythm on the offensive end um, and you're allowing them to neutralize your pass rush, which was something that when I was watching the game back, I realized that. Virginia Tech just didn't make an adjustment to that, and they weren't able to get Amari Barno and Taiwan Garbett and Jordan Williams and Josh Fuga and all these guys. They weren't able to get them in the backfield consistently in the first half, and that was obviously an issue. Now, Tech you know, didn't really break in the first half. They allowed one touchdown, but they were bending a lot, and that's not something you really want to see against a team like this, and it's really, really not beneficial when your offense is struggling so much. Are they just like arbitrarily picking names? Are they picking guys who they're worried are going to jump into the transfer portal if they don't get attention? Like, why is it like that? Or they just have to create news in some way. You've got guys that flash in preseason in every sport, right? I mean, we see it all the time in the NFL where guys will have just outstanding preseasons, right? And they'll play all four games and, They'll be an impact player in all four of them, and then the regular season comes around, and as it turns out, they're not very good. 
And I think sometimes when you're only practicing against a specific type of player or a specific set of players, which is what you're doing in, in preseason camp and college football, you can start to figure out how to have success against those particular players, but you're not able to make that translate into actual big time college football when the lights are on. Uh, part of it may be that, you know, some gamesmanship on behalf of the coaches and try to get people, you know, maybe opposing coaches worried about specific players or, you know, maybe they are trying to feed a, a couple kids some bones in terms of, you know, making them happy, making them feel like the coaches are really proud of them. I don't know. But with this staff, I just I haven't found um, I haven't found a lot of the 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 hype, whether it be recruiting uh, or whether it be you know preseason hype. I haven't found a lot of it to bear any fruit. The offensive game plan, in a word, vanilla. Yes, it yeah. was bland. It was unexciting. Part of me wants to say maybe they're keeping things off tape for West Virginia. It has to be. Because there was nothing mind-blowing about what we saw from Brad Cornelton's offense against Middle Tennessee State University. I, I do think that they're holding some stuff for, for the Mountaineers next weekend, but it shouldn't matter. And that's... That's been the issue with Virginia Tech in a lot of these games, whether it be Furman and Old Dominion in 2019, um, Liberty, which was the first game in 2016 where Tech uh, won, I believe it was 36-3, to but the offense looked really, really bad in that game. Uh, it, it shouldn't matter that the play calls vanilla. You've got the better guys. Your Your players on the outside are more talented. Your players on the line of scrimmage are more talented. Your quarterback is better. Lord knows we've seen how bad Bailey Hockman can be, right? And as low as I have been on Braxton Burmeister throughout his career in Blacksburg, I would take Braxton Burmeister over Bailey Hockman any day of the week. But it's the execution that we're just not seeing on a consistent drive-to-drive, quarter-to-quarter, game-to-game basis. And that's concerning because I don't think this team has a large margin for error. I mean, and most teams don't, right? Like the only teams that have that kind of margin for error are the elite of the elite programs. And even some of them like Clemson is about is maybe set to have a bad year where they, they go up against another elite team in Georgia. And all of a sudden Clemson basically just got punked in a stadium that's far closer to to where they're at than than the Bulldogs, and now we're all sitting here wondering if Clemson's even going to be a top four team in the country um, by the time that the end of the season comes around because they didn't look all that great in that game, and, and quite honestly, they looked overwhelmed. And for Virginia Tech, you know they're they're up to 15th in the country now in the AP poll, which is just it's it, it's a recipe for a letdown. I'm telling you, like. There's they're already I think the opening line today for the game at West Virginia was Mountaineers by three. And that should that should tell you right there that Virginia Tech might be 15th, but it's almost by default. I, I really don't think that this program is a top 15 team at the moment, just considering what we've seen over the last two games. 
everyone out there knows that I am a fan of the program. And I'm an alumni of the university. And All three of I us said, are. Yes. All three of us are. And I have said that my happiness hinges almost in an unhealthy way on the success of this football team. I want nothing more than this program to rise back to prominence. However, when I was in the stands on Saturday afternoon, and they were struggling to move the ball against Middle Tennessee State University, the Blue Raiders, and look, I have all the respect in the world for Rick Stockstill. This is not that good of a football team. They're not good on Conference USA standards. We were laughing about them last week, and ultimately in the second half, yes, it worked out. To see that football team that I watched the first half and to think to myself, this is the number 15. This is the 15th best football program in the country. The people who vote in the AP poll, they can't watch every single game. They look at the box score. Virginia Tech covered the spread, and they moved them up. The team beat North Carolina. They deserve credit for that. Do not get me wrong. This is a better football team than I thought they would be. But let's not get on a hype train that we can't get off. Brett McMurphy had them 12th on his AP ballot. Like, that's that, that, bl- that blows my damn mind. Like, there's, there's no way that anyone who's watched Virginia Tech over these two games thinks that they're a top 12 team in the country. Yeah, no, and they're a good football team. They're a good football team who on the right day can beat anyone. Anyone outside of the Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama group. They're a team that also, when everything's not going right, can struggle for a half against Middle Tennessee State University. Against West Virginia next week, especially against Notre Dame a couple weeks from now, you aren't going to have 30 minutes of football to try to figure it out. That luxury will not be afforded to you. I'm not trying to, like, you know, throw water on the fire that has been a fun season so far. But... I just feel like the people who were screaming, you know, Hokies to the national championship, Braxton Burmeister is a freaking Heisman candidate, need to realize that there's a lot of work to do. At least on the offensive side of the ball, right? Yeah, I mean, look, I I think the three of us engage in reality. And the reality is... That's what this podcast is all about. It's what it's been all about. Yeah, like you're not... You're not going to find three fanboys on this podcast. If that's what you're looking for, I'm sorry, you're in the wrong place. There are there are some other ones out there that you can do, and that's what you'll find. And have fun with it. But that's just not what we do here. And that's not that's not how the three of us think. And again, we all three want this program to be the best program in the country. But like it's it's important for us to properly manage expectations of our followers and our listeners so that they're able to be closer to reality and not get too far away from it. I, I, I don't want to sit here and talk up Virginia Tech at 2-0 and and start here sitting here dreaming about being undefeated going into the Notre Dame game because, quite honestly, th- there was a point 
on Saturday where I wasn't sure if Tech was going to beat Middle Tennessee State. Virginia Tech is currently an underdog at West Virginia. Um, how are they going to look against Richmond? I'm not saying Richmond's going to win that game, but uh, is Virginia Tech going to you know, slide by for a, a half and then all of a sudden turn on the Jets again against an FCS program? I mean, that that's not what good programs do. It's it's important for, for fans to try and stay as close to reality as possible and just keep in mind that this program, this team is flawed in a lot of ways. And yes, they're two and zero, and yes, the defense has looked good for most of the, both of those games. The offense has had a couple flashes of being, you know, pretty efficient. Quite honestly, the win against Carolina doesn't mean as much as some people think it does. I know Carolina blew the doors off of Georgia Southern on on you know on Saturday, and you know, hooray Georgia for State. them. Georgia State. Sorry, sorry, Georgia State. And, you know, who knows, maybe Carolina all of a sudden turns it on and they, you know, they become a top 10, top 15 team, but they were not a top 10 team when Tech beat them on Friday night a couple weeks ago. Carolina was still trying to figure a lot of stuff out. And um, Virginia Tech just skated by for a half against Middle Tennessee State and then had to turn on the Jets in order to get that game to cover the spread, which is not what you're looking for. So this is a this is a really big game against West Virginia coming up. Not only is it a rivalry game, you know, the result of this game will weigh heavily on the hearts and minds of some of the older crowd and a lot of the donors. A lot of a lot of your middle middle-aged to older fans know what this game means to the program. They know what it means in the region. Um they know how important this game is. Some of the younger fans don't realize that as much. Um, but this is a really big game against a, a, a very competent team. I'm not going to say West Virginia is really good because I don't believe that they are. But I'm not sure They're that not. West Virginia <laughs> – Yeah, I'm not sure that West Virginia and Virginia Tech are that far away from each other. Tech needs to come in here and improve that – you know, while they might be flawed, they have what it takes to get the job done and they find ways to win. Um, if they can do that and if, if they can win this game, then I'll be, you know, a, a little impressed by that. But I, I don't know, man, it, it's I'm I'm on the fence about this game. I, I'm just something about this tech team has me worried that they're not going to be able to score enough points. And this might sound negative. You know, it's crazy real quick, like like tech won this game. Right. And we've spent the entire podcast like talking about the negatives and and, you know, part of that's because of like, you know, the, the opponent. But I think all all th- the, all three of us here and a good section of the fan base, we have high standards for this program and we we're not going to sit here and hold Virginia Tech to a lower standard because the team isn't all that good. We're going to hold them to the standard that they should be held at, which is that Virginia Tech is supposed to be a nationally relevant program. For our listeners, first of all, I respect you a lot, right? I don't want to come here on this podcast and set you a false bill of goods. Yep. And we won the football game. That is something that we should appreciate. Through the last three seasons, Virginia Tech has been unable to get by a non-power five opponent. Yeah. It didn't happen. We, you know, we mentioned about how 
the offense needed a full half to figure it out, and they did. And that's a luxury that wasn't necessarily afforded to Virginia Tech against Old Dominion. Liberty was a seriously good football team, but nonetheless, Virginia Tech lost that game. They won, and in the second half, they showed out. But when I looked at the number 15 ranking, and I look at some of the reactions of people on Twitter, I love this program, but I think that sometimes this fan base can manufacture their own heartbreak, their own disappointment, through their own expectations. I'm not here to sell you high expectations when when I can't tell you the 15th best team in the country based on what I saw in Lane Stadium on Saturday afternoon. Again, this is a decent football team. This is a good football team. This is a football team that can win games. This is a football team that can win enough games potentially to save Justin Puente's job. And that's something we didn't necessarily know two weeks ago. Let's not act like we've won the Super Bowl. Let's not act like the mountain has been climbed. Let's not act like we're Alabama. When Bailey Hockman outshined Braxton Burmeister for essentially the entire game. But the defense was all right. And Ricky, I mean, Jermaine Waller, this is a serious player. Two games in here, fully healthy. Two interceptions, both NFL-level plays. Is this the best player on the team? He's close. I mean, it's it's either it's either him or Amari Barno, I think. I mean, Jermaine Waller definitely has a chance to be a uh, a, a high draft pick in in the NFL draft. I mean, he's he's tall. He's got good size. He's got good athleticism. He's smart. He he plays physical. Um, I was I was so impressed by his ability to wrestle that ball away last week against Carolina, and again he undercut the route perfectly in this game for the interception. You know he's he's not perfect. He's capable of getting beat. He, you know I, I'm not sure that he'll go into the league and, and be a shutdown corner, but I definitely think that he's someone who is capable of playing at the next level. He's very talented. I think he's got a good head on his shoulders and. If he can find a way to stay healthy, it'll be a huge boon to this Virginia Tech defense because Dorian Strong had some injury issues in this game, and you know we're not really sure how much that is affecting him. Uh, thankfully, cornerback is a, a position for Tech where they have some some depth, but you lose Jermaine Waller, and that depth goes away pretty quick. So having him healthy really changes the complexion of this defense, and it allows... Justin Hamilton to rely on those guys to play one-on-one coverage, which really I think Tech's going to have to do for most of the season. Uh, Getting pressure on the quarterback is going to be how this defense gets the job done. And we saw once the, the corners started to play tighter coverage against middle Tennessee state in the second half, that pass rush started to get a little bit better. And, that's the direction that Virginia Tech is going to have to go because ultimately the defense is going to have to carry this team to wins. This, if if Virginia Tech has a good season, it's going to look a lot like 2017, especially late 2017 when Virginia Tech was scoring 17, 20, 23 points a game and they were relying on a really experienced, really, really fast, 
really explosive defense to get the job done. Yeah, Rick, my guy. I mean, I'll never forget. It's late 2016, maybe early 2017. I don't remember whether New Year's had passed or not. I'm in a hotel with my best friend from high school, a guy by the name of Andrew Filiator, who happens to be an Alabama alumni at the time, an Alabama student. For those Alabama fans, those Ohio State fans, they kind of laugh at us. They look at this like small-time football because compared to having a free ticket to the college football playoff every year, it like seemed like that. But I remember getting the message that Isaiah Ford goes pro, Bucky Hodges goes pro, Gerard Evans goes pro. I was distraught because I knew with that defense that was coming back, how many of those guys ended up on NFL rosters? Half? More than half? Well, that, Isaiah Ford, you know, he he was on a roster for a little bit, but he was injured for a good chunk of it. And Bucky Hodges bounced around a little bit, but well, they, none they, of they those. Were, they, they, they were players, and I was saying, of the, on the, of the guys on the defensive side of the ball, though, that uh, Oh, on that end, Maine, yeah. You look at Terrell yeah. and Greg Stroman, Timmy Settle in the middle. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a great defense, uh, alluding to the point that you made. I mean, it's really hard to be a productive NFL player, notably on the offensive side of the ball, because that's what we're talking about. And had Gerard and Isaiah and Bucky stuck around in Clemson's Kelly Bryant one year where they might have been vulnerable. Who knows? At the end of the day, Ricky, this defense is going to have to carry this team, especially if we have an extended, if not indefinite, absence of James Mitchell. Yeah. G- g- given the flaws there. Let's talk about the pass rush, right? This is a defense that got six sacks week one. I remember second or third quarter, looking up the scoreboard, they're showing the live stats. Middle Tennessee was the only team with a sack. I'm like, what happened? Was it the quick passing game? Because it seemed like, I mean, for God's sake. Bailey Hockman was throwing that seven yard out six times in a row, and they had no idea how to stop it. Was it a product of the game that Middle Tennessee State was playing? Did the pass rush get worse from week to week? How do you evaluate the performance in the defensive side of the ball? And I'll preface that with, I mean, the defense kept the team in the game, right? Because... Jacksonville State beat Florida State, and we'll touch on that way at the end because I think it's worth <laughs> talking. I think it's worth talking about. But you know, Virginia Tech lost to Old Dominion and Liberty. They lost to ECU in the last decade. They've lost to JMU in the past decade, and that didn't happen because the defense kept them in the game and gave the offense time to, as I keep saying, figure it out. But your evaluation of the defense was the pass rush there. Well, Middle Tennessee had a great game plan coming in, and that was to get the ball out of Bailey Hockman's hands quickly. And I think Hockman struggled in the second half when they started to try and push the ball down the field a bit more. Um, Bailey Hockman just is very is a very limited passer. It just is what it is. And um, in order to try and make things easier for him and protect him a little bit, uh, both, you know, in terms of making sure his throws were easier and also keeping him upright, Middle Tennessee said, we're going to get the ball out fast and, and we're going to try and beat you that way. And 
Virginia Tech allowed a lot of y- a lot of yards, and you know, as I mentioned, they had 132 yards and three drives, and they ran 28 plays over the over those three drives, and that's that's not really what you're looking for against this kind of team. But they were able to slow that pass rush down by getting the ball out so fast and running those shorter combinations, and it really neutralized Virginia Tech's pass rush that was so terrific against. North Carolina. Now let's, you know, let's give Tech a little bit of credit. They had three sacks. They had a ton of TFLs. Um, so there's, it's, it's worth, you know, saying that they, the pass rush started to get better as the game went on, but the pass rush was not nearly as good as they were against Carolina. And I think part of that was scheme. And I think part of it's just because they, Tech didn't really play with the same energy after the first couple of possessions on the defensive end that, that we had seen against Carolina. And that was one of the things I was hoping to see if Virginia Tech's defense could sustain that anger and, and that, that intensity for an entire game. And we didn't really see it after, um, or, or at least in the middle portions of the game in the second quarter and early on in the third quarter. Is there a silver lining here? Is there something that you saw on the defensive side of the ball that you were able to put in your pocket and go home with and say, all right, this gives me a lot of hope going into West Virginia, going into Notre Dame? The secondary seems pretty good, man. I mean, Nasir Peoples has really come alive as a terrific safety, and he's always around the ball, and I think he's going to be someone, again, he had 11 tackles in this game and led the team. I think he's going to be very, very good. Uh, obviously, Jermaine Waller, who we talked about, having him there is, is, is just awesome. I think Armani Chapman is having the best season of his career so far. Obviously, it's very early, but Armani has looked very, very good. If Dorian Strong is healthy, you have a really good three-cornerback combo there. And then, obviously, Breon Murray is the the fourth guy. Um, who you hope you don't have to use a ton, but if you do, you're not really upset about it because he's at least a, a, a veteran, you know, competent player. But I think the the ability of, of this team in the secondary gives me a lot of hope that they'll be able to keep Virginia Tech in ball games. And, you know, unfortunately, I think that's what it's going to come down to is, you know, Tech should be able to rely on their defense to not lose the game. But it's going to be up to the offense to at least get some points on the board and not not be scoring, you know, two or three times a game. They're going to have to put together at least a few scoring drives a game. They're going to have to finish in the red zone. They're going to have to take care of the football. If they do that, then I think Tech can win any game on the schedule, to be quite honest. Uh, but, you know, this offense has got to get a lot better. And it's it's a shame that we're you know sitting here having this conversation in year six of Justin Fuente when yeah. when when Fuente arrived you know late 2015 before the 2016 season you know he was telling Bud Foster you don't have to be perfect anymore well in order for Virginia Tech to win games this year their their defense is going to have to be pretty close so last thing on this game and we'll preview West Virginia a ton in a full episode where Mike McDaniel will be back, just dealing with family stuff right now, hanging out with the family. Got to respect that. The Middle Tennessee recap, not the most important Hokie Hangover episode in the history of Hokie Hangover. 
<laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll ask Ricky this. We'll take the 10,000-foot view. And I know that going into the game, one thing that we were really worried about with shades of Old Dominion and ECU and all the rest in the memory of Hokie fans everywhere, that this team mentally would not get up for the game following a big win. Was that the issue in the first half? Partly. You know, Tech's, Tech didn't sustain that that intensity in the first half on, on defense, as I said earlier. But I think ultimately this offense just isn't quite there in terms of their, their ability to play consistently. And I think it's really as simple as that. Um, obviously, the the atmosphere in that game against Middle Tennessee State was not the same not even close to what we saw a couple Fridays ago. I was there. Uh, can't but, confirm. Yes. But that being said, uh, Tech's, Tech's offense just does not have the, the, the rhythm and the identity that we need to see yet. And I was hoping that after two games, we would have it figured out. We don't, obviously. And... Again, this game against West Virginia is going to be huge in ter- for the entire trajectory of the season. If if Tech wins this game, it's a huge bounce-back game after a bit of a letdown for a half against Middle Tennessee State. And if they win this game, then you've got a lot of momentum going into, obviously, the Richmond game and then the big game after that against Notre Dame. If you lose this game, well, you know, the season all of a sudden doesn't have the same luster as it had after you just beat number 10 Carolina, right? Like the, the momentum behind the season is no longer the same. And all of a sudden you're, you know, you're worried about hitting that, that eight win mark again, which I think after the win against Carolina, everybody was, or at least most people were saying, Oh yeah, tech's guaranteed to win eight eight games, baby. Like we, we got this going. So I don't know, man, it's, it, it's frustrating because it would be so much easier if Tech would just win these games going away, right? Uh, but as we've learned, that it's not always that easy. And unfortunately, it's been that way for quite some time. Like this this predates Justin Fuente's arrival. Uh, the, the latter end of the Frank Beamer years, it was the same way. I remember watching Tech kind of piddle around against William & Mary inside Lane Stadium. And that was pretty frustrating. And, you know, ultimately part of becoming a, 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 a very productive and high ceiling program is winning these games by halftime, winning these games by midway through the third quarter. And you've got to do that frequently. And we just haven't seen it so far. And I guess this is the last thing we'll say about this game before we start kind of just fumbling around the ACC before we wrap things up. Going into the game, I made my expectations clear as to what I wanted to say. And before I even did that, I told Virginia Tech fans, I understand your anxiety. We just beat North Carolina, a team that, at least on paper, should be really good. And now we're playing Middle Tennessee State. But I understand your anxiety when you think 
that this game could be a game that Virginia Tech loses. And they didn't. They covered the spread. They scored 21 points. They won 35 to 14. The exact score predicted by Andrew Analix <laughs> on the Hokie Hangover podcast. Just keep but, reminding the people of that, Andrew. I mean, it was amazing. This never happened before to me that I literally <laughs> predicted the score. And I predicted exactly how it would happen, too. Uh, what I wanted to see was the game to get out of hand early. That Virginia Tech could show us, the fans. And, you know, for obviously more pragmatic purposes as well, get the backups into the game, use them, and see what they have. Give them real in-game experience. And that did not happen. I was at halftime on the lawn outside of Lane Stadium with our great friend, Dr. Jeremy Counts, and Chris Coleman sitting crisscross applesauce (laughs) talking about what went wrong in that first half. In that regard, it's disappointing. And I don't want to cool the Jets too much on this team. I think this is a great team. I believe that you, our listeners, should not divest in coming to a game or two or in my preference, all of them, because I love Blacksburg being awesome and having a lot of fans. The flaws that we saw offensively in the second half were not remedied quickly enough against a bad football team that is Middle Tennessee State, and that's no disrespect to Rick Stockstill and the job that he has done at Middle Tennessee State. But look, it it is what it is. We're not back to square one, but we're back to, I mean, let's put it simply, the first half was a reality check. Sometimes I think a reality check might be the best medicine for all of us. But Rick, all right, let's go through the ACC though. Jacksonville State 20. (laughs) (laughs) Jacksonville State 20 Florida State 17 For those of you that don't know me personally I have three TVs in my house I got the best football watching setup in the world Because that's how I live You know you can only have the sound up for one And The Jacksonville State Florida State game Was I'm one of the quiet ones And I'm sitting there last night with my friend Couple of a uh, couple of drinks at me, and I just you know give this dude a hard nudge on the arm and look up at the TV as the improbable final Jacksonville State play happens. I say, oh my god, is this real? And this Florida State team is a team that almost beat Notre Dame last week. Now, granted, Notre Dame almost lost to Toledo this week, <laughs> so maybe it's yeah. time to cool the Jets on them, but. Mike Norvell, even in a loss, might have thought he had some kind of vindicating moment. Are times still really tough down there in Tallahassee? They they did not play very good football, and they did all the things that you do when you want to lose games. And you cannot let a team that is hungry and the team that's playing their Super Bowl hang around like that. Um, also, just the last play was absolutely unacceptable. Mike Norvell's explanation afterwards was not any better. Uh, getting shut out 13 to nothing in the fourth quarter by Jacksonville state is, is pretty low. Ultimately, I think Norvell will, will get things figured out. But then again, I thought the same thing about Willie Taggart and look how that turned out. 
Pittsburgh beats Tennessee. I picked that game. I picked Pittsburgh to win. Kenny Pickett, 24 for 36, 285 yards and two touchdowns. I asked, I think I asked Mike a few weeks ago, in year five, can Kenny Pickett improve? Do you think he's improved? Is this a statement win for the program? Pittsburgh goes down to Knoxville in front of all those fans that meet Tennessee, or is this more of a, you know, another chapter in the sad story of a declining program? I mean, it's not a statement win, but it's a good win. Uh, Tennessee benched Joe Milton, it, it seems like, and went to Hendon Hooker, who played okay, two touchdowns, one pick. 188 yards, 15 to 21 completed, but uh, Pittsburgh is a problem, and if I'm in the coastal, I'm worried about Pittsburgh for sure. I think they're as good as as good as anybody right now. It seems like the the Carolina, Miami, Tech, and Pitt group is kind of solid. Virginia may end up being in that group, um, but 42 to 14 against Illinois. That's the team that beat Nebraska. Yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure how the coastal is going to end up shaping up, but I don't think there's a ton of separation between any of those teams, quite honestly. You mentioned Miami. And I saw that spread that Vegas put out there. Miami minus nine and a half against Appalachian State. And I went and bet the farm on App State. Now App State didn't win. But they but certainly they covered. covered. They <laughs> certainly covered. 25 to 23, a defensive battle. It, make no mistakes, but Miami narrowly escapes. This is coming off of the game against Alabama where we really felt that App State was an opportunity where they could prove that their initial ranking might have had some justification. And they were just playing Alabama, and of course everyone gets crushed by Alabama. And they look no better than pedestrian in a game against App State. How do you stand on this team right now? Miami's back being mid, baby. <laughs> they're 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 not a top ten team in the country. They're still a very talented team. They can probably compete with just about any team in the country, but th- this team just does not seem like it has what it takes to to win ball games the way that they should be winning ball games. Um, Derek King had what 30 some pass attempts and only had 200 yards passing. That's a bit worrisome. If I'm a Miami fan, 20 for 33 for exactly 200. Yeah. It it seems like they're not willing to push the ball downfield and that could be an issue, but this goes back to the point I made, like even Carolina who just absolutely ran over Georgia state, um, I don't really think there's a ton of separation in the coastal between those teams that I mentioned. Basically, every team in the coastal except Duke, I think, has got a a chance to win. All right, last one we'll do here on the Atlantic side. When we picked these games last week, Mike McDaniel picked North Carolina State over Mississippi State. Wrong. Yes, uh, so did we, Ricky. (laughs) I think, or maybe you didn't. No, I, I picked Mississippi State. I know I I'll picked have to Mississippi go, I'll have to go State. back in my notepad. I, yeah, you probably did. But his reasoning, <laughs> Mike's reasoning, was that he saw a lot of inconsistency out of Mike Leach's teams. Correct. 
that didn't really factor in that much because ultimately North Carolina State was able to score 10 points in that game, a 24-10 loss. This is the team that a lot of people thought was number two in the Atlantic. Do we still feel that way? They might be. Um, Wake Forest, I think, is pretty good. I'm I'm curious to see how those two teams play uh, when they when they face each other. the The ACC just seems really down this year. Like I, I I'm not sure that there there are more than Clemson that are worthy of being top ten teams. I mean Louisville's one and one. Florida State hasn't won a game yet. Uh, NC State just lost a game that they you know I, I'm not sure they were favored in, but they certainly had a chance to win. Boston College is probably at least at the moment, they're, it's either them or Wake Forest that you'd have to say is the second best team in, in the Atlantic. Um, but again, the ACC just does not have the high end, uh, the high end talent this year that we've seen in years past. I'm, I'm not sure that the ACC even has a team that's capable of making the playoff. And that goes back to Clemson, who, you know, took care of business against South Carolina State you know, winning by 46, but I'm I'm not sure that they're a playoff team. All right, Rick, final thoughts on the game, Middle Tennessee State. Who would have thought we could do an hour on this, but we did. Final thoughts yeah. before we wrap things up. Yeah, um, again, it's a win. That's a good thing, but, you know, I, I felt like after the game we needed to talk a lot about the, the negatives because ultimately Tech was supposed to win this game by a lot. And while they cover the spread, um, the first half was very, very concerning. And, you know, I, the, the last thing we want to do here is just be Eeyore and, and, and be all sad and depressed. But it's I think it's important to, to talk about <laughs> reality. Where did you compare to Eeyore once or twice? <laughs> oh, I know I have. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's important to to live in, in reality and, and, and talk about the facts. And, you know, the, the fact is that Virginia Tech did not look very good for the first half of this game. And that's concerning. And there's plenty of time for them to, to, to get on the right track, but um, they've got a lot of work to do on, on, on the offensive end, on the defensive end, they've got to find a way to be a bit more consistent, but they're definitely a better finished product on that side. So it's a big game against West Virginia. And I'm looking forward to previewing it. I'll just say this. Don't be a victim of your own expectations. Again, we have the smartest listener base in the country. You're at Hokie Hangover Podcast. You guys wouldn't be here if you weren't looking for a balanced take on what's going on. And that's what we try to provide. So hopefully, me and Ricky's negative Nancy moments, of which there <laughs> were many in this podcast, just amount to us being helicopter parents over a football program that we really care about. But, you know, it, it's important to point those things out. Attention to detail. <laughs> I'm so detail-oriented. It's a corporate word. But, all right. Shout-out for this week. Dad to Pudge and Erica. Shout-out to my really good friend, actually one of my best friends in the world, Captain Garland Daniel Pittard of the U.S. Army. Had the pleasure of spending military appreciation day with him and shout out to my day job espn blacksburg for hooking him up with tickets uh shout out to my friend darren shout out to grant edwards grace scott 
Uh, shout out to Dr. Jeremy Counts, who I also watched the game with. I think that every Hokie fan should put on their bucket list to watch the game with Jeremy because there's no more <laughs> passionate person in the world about this program than that crazy thing I can't say, even though it's a podcast that's uncensored, I just won't say it. Uh, Tina and Frank Merritt, my friends Jacob McKenzie, and shout out to Hokie House for my pregame show. They do a great job. And look for the Hokie Hangover poster that's going up in Hokie House uh, probably by the time that this podcast is on line. Ricky, any last words, buddy? Shout out to um, all of our first responders. Uh, I spent the weekend doing my day job, which for those who are unaware, uh, is public relations for uh, Virginia Beach EMS down here in the Tidewater area. Uh, got to spend Saturday, which was obviously the 20th anniversary of 9-11, with a ton of first responders from police, fire, EMS, uh, sheriff's office. Uh, many of, of those people actually responded on uh, September 11, 2001 as a part of Virginia Task Force 2. Uh, so thank you to each and every one of them. Thank you to all of our service members. Um, it was it, yesterday was definitely a solemn day for a lot of us um, in the in the first responder world. And I'm glad I was able to spend it with them and learn a lot about a lot about the tragedy that, you know, I lived growing up and in second grade is when it happened for me. And, um, you know, very thankful that I can be a part of that and very thankful to live in the greatest country that the world has ever seen. Yeah. And to Ricky's point, you know, it's such a solemn moment and Virginia tech, by the way, to everyone who works there, fantastic job with military appreciation day because, you know, having a game on the 20th anniversary of what is the most heinous and tragic event that's ever happened on American soil is a tough thing to do. It's tough to just play a football game that day on a day where 20 years prior, 2,996 souls were lost. And we will never forget that. To the members of our military, we thank you. To our first responders, we thank you. You know, we're just dudes that do a podcast. We we can't even process the sacrifice that you guys put in. And it's awesome in the literal definition of the word, where I'm in awe. And without a natural transition, we will see you in a few days, my friends. West Virginia is coming up. The Mountaineers, despite a loss to Maryland, are still a decent football team. A more than decent football team that Virginia Tech, hopefully throughout this week, is going to prepare for with their heart and soul. And it will be interesting to see how the Hokies do in Morgantown and what is the rebirth of a classic rivalry. It'll be exciting. And we'll preview it. Enjoy your week, my friends. Until then, go Huggies.